Activist theology is built on the power of story, and we believe story can change the world. We also know that being in community with one another on this journey will help to build a movement committed to collective liberation and a more loving world. We have a commitment to the ethics and politics of Encajunto, or togetherness, and we are together in this work with you. Hi, folks. This is Dr. Robin. Hi, y'all. This is Reverend Anna Galladay, and we are your hosts for the Activist Theology Podcast. It's time for us to get our hands dirty. We're ready. Are you? Hey, Pastor. Well, hey there, Dr. Robin. How's it going? Well, let's see here. I'm on day five of walking three times a day. Excellent. I'm trying to steward the story of my body into wellness. Um, the RNC is happening. It's a nightmare. <laughs> Are you watching it? So, um, yes and no. I am refusing to watch it on a network because I don't want my watching to contribute to ratings because I'm a snarky right. bitch like that. And so right. I'm... I am watching online um, behind firewalls so that I don't even give them the benefit of my views. Yeah. Um, Because again, I'm a snarky bitch like that. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. So I just, I, I feel like there's a lot happening in the world right now. Um, The RNC is happening. I mean, I am well. Good. But I'm, I'm, I'm also I'm also attentive to the fact that there's just a lot happening. Right. And um, it's been a while since you and I have just spilled the tea and talked about what's happening in the world. And and now we have that chance. But how are you? I'm good. I'm good. I am um, still um, actively trying to move. Um, I have a home on the market. Uh, we might be seeing some light at the end of that tunnel. So for all of you listeners out there who put vibes or prayers or well wishes or um, good juju into the universe, um, I could use a little on my behalf. Um, and me too, because I'm sick and tired of walking up and down them damn stairs. <laughs> right. It, my, my home is an amazing home, but you do have to climb a flight and a half of steps to enter it. And it, it can be cumbersome, which is also the reason that we're having trouble selling it. <laughs> right. I mean, it, the, the stairs are great for my heart health, but every fucking time that I want to go visit you, I've got to walk up them damn stairs. And I, I know. Don't Look, I've lived here for six years and my stomach might look like that of an overweight, uh, middle-aged woman. Um, but I'm telling you what, those stairs have given me an ass of steel. I mean, <laughs> I, I, I have got really strong quads and buttocks because those steps have been a part of my world for, for a number of years now. I, th- I think we just got the title for this this week's podcast, Ass right. of Steel. <laughs> Ass of Steel. I don't think, I, you know, I think some of our listeners are going to be like, oh, that's intriguing. I definitely want to hear that episode. And yeah. others are going to be like, a uh, hard pass. <laughs> I, I, 
Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm okay. Otherwise, also, I think I'm, um, you know, I mean, I'm sitting in the moment of today, just like you are, and I'm trying to figure out both, you know, where I like what the best um, use of my voice and my energy is. I'm also um, really actively trying to figure out like what I need to stay out of what I need to not engage in um you know we had another fatal shooting well um we had a fatal shooting last night by a supremacist who showed up at the protests for a near fatal shooting um and you know the the one in kenosha wisconsin yeah and i mean you know i mean i feel like we are I just, I feel like I'm on a hamster wheel sometimes that, that just continues to go round and round and I'm not getting anywhere. And then other times, so I had this really um, beautiful interaction yesterday with a human online that gave me a little bit of hope um, for like what we can be and how we can do this work. can I, can I share that with you? Can I, yeah. can I tell you what happened? So, yeah. um, so we have um, our mayoral and city council um, positions are coming up for reelection. Um, and we have a number of candidates that are beginning to announce that they're running. And uh, one of the leaders of our Black Lives Matter movement here in Chattanooga is running for our District 8 seat. And yesterday, a challenger um, announced his candidacy for the seat. And he is a um, a black man from Chattanooga. He's a a senior at the University of Tennessee at Chattanooga here in town. And he's um, there was an article in the newspaper yesterday about his platform and about his announcement that he's now running. And. Uh A white man commented on his post yesterday saying, commented on the post that the paper had put on their Facebook page saying, he is, uh, this is excellent news. He is clean cut. He is presentable. He looks very respectable and um, looks as if he um, is someone that I could trust. And his platform got me when he said he was going to do X, Y, Z to improve our community. And, and, you know, because I'm a girl that can't keep my mouth shut, I um, pointed out in, in what I recognized was a very pastoral response to these not so microaggressions, you know, of naming yeah. a black man as respectable looking and well-dressed and put together. And, and I, and I simply said, you know, these are the types of microaggressions that undergird our supremacist rhetoric in this country. And I want to give you the benefit of the doubt that this isn't who you are. However, if it is who you are, and if you're looking to learn more about how your words can be perceived um, you know, I, I think that that might be a, a good, a good, you know, use of your time. Like it was very pastoral. It wasn't quite that, even that snarky. Like I, I really tried to not be somebody that anybody would come back at and say, like, like, shut up. You don't know him. 
like, you, right. you know, shut up, bitch. Right. You, you don't know. I'm like, stay out of, stay out of our lane. And sure as shit, Robin, this white man commented on my Facebook post several hours later and said, you're right. I'm sorry. I now recognize how those statements are perceived. I've edited my post accordingly. And then he went on to private message me and say, I just want to let you know that your words really struck me. I need to do better. That's the kind of rhetoric that my dad brought me up to say that if a black person is dressed well, is presenting well, um, looks honest and, you know, has, has, a, has a clean, what we would perceive to be as a clean haircut and, you know, doesn't look like they're, quote, from the streets, right. that's, the, that's the reason we trust a black person. Right. And he said, uh, he said, what I did was unforgivable. And I appreciate that you named it. And I appreciate that you named it kindly yet pointedly. And I'm sorry. Um, and I just, and I just wanted to share with you how, how appreciative I am of the way that you responded to me. Mm. And I thought, <sighs> like, I, I, I don't want this story to be about me. Because I think we all have to be capable of holding one another accountable in the work. Um, but I think it spoke to um, this young white man's recognition of the times that he's living in and the way that what he has been conditioned to understand and to then regurgitate is problematic. Um, and I don't know, I don't know if anything will happened past the, the conversation we had yesterday, but it was, just, I don't know. It just gave me a little bit of hope for like for the, the possibility of, of us white folks, like getting out of our own way and being able yeah. to listen to feedback and, and, and in, and in some ways criticism and be, and, and, and look in the mirror, not just let it roll off of us. Well, we've talked a lot about the narratives that we've inherited right. and and for white folks in particular, and even in my own family, who um, on one side is Mexican, on the other side is white. But even on the Mexican side, they've inherited narratives that contribute to oppression, right? Like right. Mexicans are lazy and dirty to to the point where. I think I shared this with Dan when Dan was on to, you know, to the point where I used to never sit on the ground because sitting on the ground made me dirty and I had so internalized that narrative. And so we all live with these scripts and with these voices. And in fact, I, I just had therapy and my therapist was talking about sometimes our bodies hold stories that aren't ours, but, but come from our ancestors. Um, and, and we have to steward those stories. And I think in this moment right now, much of the story that we are trying to steward and compost is the story of supremacy culture. Right. That comes out in language, that comes out in behavior and action. Um, and, you know, I mean, we talk a lot about um, 
what does it mean to be in relationship with folks and and how do you how do you steward the kind of accountability that will invite the other person to respond in like like this person right. responded instead of responding from a fragile right. place where you don't get anywhere and gosh you know i just um i was talking to somebody yesterday and i basically was like um we don't know how to practice presence with one another and because we don't know how to practice presence with one another we don't know how to be with one another right in in life and we're in the work and in the movement in conflict <laughs> in conflict yeah right. yeah not just in the not just in the in the day-to-day -day, um in in many ways kind of touchy-feely like things are going good moments but yeah. also in the like this world is a shit show moment yeah yeah so I, I love that you had that experience that's great but i i also want to um like hold that and also and also comment like what happened in kenosha washington uh, wisconsin is terrible yes and yes. how do we i mean we now we're hearing more stories of these white vigilante supremacist people showing up at protests you know how do we how do we steward that story and compost that kind of supremacy I, I just it feels overwhelming sometimes yeah yeah and how do we sit with this this once again radical understanding that's right in front of our face that there is a double standard and there is an affirmation of supremacist ideology by our police force right and and we're watching it in real time i mean these boogaloo boys were you know were armed were prepared to defend property that wasn't theirs i mean this 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 17 year old yeah. kid shot these two pro shot one of the protesters because the protester was coming onto a car lot right um to maybe vandalize it maybe loot it we don't know um but i i just i mean i had the we had the exact same thing happen here last weekend we had a march that was a save the children march um which is also problematic because it's been highly um kind of overrun by QAnon um folks in a lot of places in the in the country the organizers here continue to say no that was not this that this was not that kind of of march this was not this that kind of rallying but we had white supremacists white supremacists show up at this at this thing on saturday armed with their automatic weapons slung over their backs and our police force did nothing to them allowed them to be there allowed them to stand there whereas two months ago one of our blm activists had a disassembled ak-15 in his backpack that he is legally capable of carrying because he is licensed and they arrested him and threw him in jail for it mm. 
I mean, so again, like we're we're watching the 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 dichotomy of of our of our of of those that are supposed to protect and serve us, which I always put those words in quotes because I mean I I'm I'm as you are radically annoyed with this, you know, thing that we know to be our our police our policing process in the US. I mean, there's just there's there's a double standard in every single yeah. aspect. And I'm just I'm I'm over it. I'm over it and I'm annoyed and anyway, I'm just complaining. Well, you know, a lot has happened this week and not just in um, Kenosha, but um, Jacob Blake, Mm -hmm. who was shot seven times, who is now paralyzed, but seemed to have survived the the gunshots as of today on this Wednesday in in August. And um, I, I, at what, at what point are the police going to be? held accountable to the ways in which they execute their behavior. Like, what is it going to take? And I, I just, I don't know if they ever will. I just don't know that they'll ever be held accountable, Robin. I don't know that we, I don't know that without a radical shift in our understanding of policing mm-hmm. and, and, a, and, a, and a divestment of current policing initiatives, and a reinvestment in social services and um, and and medical services as it relates to things that people would normally call nine one one for. I don't know if they're ever going to be held accountable. I mean, I wish I weren't such a pessimist today. Yeah, but God, like I don't like I don't know. Well, let me ask you this because um, I'm I'm all for abolishing the police and and you are not exactly at that same space correct and and you know if 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 there is some movement that we can do like what can we do because police reform has not worked there's been police have gone through implicit bias training um that's not working so what is what do we need to do as a corrective to policing? I mean, I, I, so I, you're right. I am not, I am not as far along in the process as you are of a complete abolition of our police force. Um, what I do know is that our concept of policing and our and our understanding of what happens when someone reaches out for help, which in most instances means they dial nine one one, right? Are are a, a they are not compatible with a, a societal value of us caring for one another and being in community with one another, right? I mean, I think a very simple step, and and this this will require. A, a lot of us to kind of get out of our own ways as far as imagination is concerned is, you know, what would happen if a very basic step was to rid ourselves of only two numbers that end in one, one right now we have nine, one, one, and we have four, one, one. What if all of our one, one, three digit phone numbers led to a different set of responses 
What if 911 was only for physical emergency, physical kind of personal emergencies? Like I'm having a heart attack. Right. My, 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 my partner's having a stroke. My child is choking. Um, and 811 was for, I've just seen an accident on the side of the road or yeah. I've, 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 something has happened on a roadway and 711 is, um, I am with someone who is in emotional distress, who is considering ending their life or is having an anxiety breakdown. And what if 611 was about, um, I've just, I've just seen a tree fall on a house. I, I you know, I've, I've seen a, a, I've seen something happen um, in, in a neighborhood like a, that like a natural that, disaster, like a natural disaster. I mean, what if we expanded our understanding of responses so that they could be focused to the persons in our community who are best equipped to handle those 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 calls. I mean, I think that would be great. I think that's a lot to ask people to remember. Maybe, but I mean, they can they can remember every password for every app that they have. Uh, I I well. I can't. <laughs> I have to have you I have but you to remember have, your four basic passwords or your six basic passwords. You know it's one of them. You know it's right, within because, a range. Because it's the same password. <laughs> I don't know. Now, I mean, now, I, now somebody's gonna hack me because I've just said that I, I use the same password. But let, let, let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. So when I talk about abolishing the police as we know it. I am advocating for a turn to an investment in social service. Yes. Because I think the I think we both are. We both are. We just we're just thinking of it differently, yes. The the ways the ways that policing is done now is not harm reduction. It's it's in many cases harm producing. And so when I talk about abolishing the police and and I know a lot of people have a lot of feelings about they feel safe with the police, but I don't feel safe with the police. I've had experiences with the police that make me feel unsafe. I've been called a terrorist by the police because I was wearing my hoodie that says activist theology. Um, so the, the police to me, as, as it is now as an entity is is unsafe for a lot of people. When I talk about abolishing that entity, I'm talking about abolishing the harm that they do. Now, can we can we recruit people to protect and serve? Yes, but it's got to come from a different narrative and a different starting point than what modern day policing has come from because we know that modern day policing has has stemmed from slave patrols and keeping right. people in white order. So until we as a community, as a society, decide what what order is okay, which is gonna take building that community of radical difference. Yes. Because right now we don't have that because the norm is white supremacy. The norm is supremacy culture. And so when we talk about a community of radical difference, we're talking about um, abolishing norms and standards 
that keep people oppressed. Yes. So I'm all for recruiting an entity that protects and serves. But it's got to protect trans women who are being hustled on the street by other people instead of giving a blind eye to that. I don't disagree at all with any of that. Correct. Yeah, I think I am. um, I, I just am less. And maybe it's that I'm less confident that um, we have the imagination to to reimagine like that. Um, oh, I mean, yeah, I, I think that you know a lot of us don't have the imagination. We're we're so stuck in our hamster wheel, really, right. that we can't see beyond what's happening. I mean. I, I, well, just to talk about the election, I, I feel like this is the election of my lifetime. Yeah. And for other people, it was it was the Kennedy election, right? right. Um, I really feel like this is the election of my lifetime. For other people, it was four years ago. Right. Right. Um, I mean, I, I remember saying those words four years ago. Like, this election yeah. will determine what kind of people we are. And this is yeah. like, this is the biggest vote I've ever cast. And yet I feel like I'm now saying that again with the exact same, with more vigor and more yeah. um, urgency um, than I did four years ago. But, but I, I, I mentioned the election because we, we don't have an imagination for, for anything other than what's present, right. what's looking at us right now. And I worry about that. I worry that we don't have, it's not about stamina. It's about, are, are we able to generate thought and imagination? And I get really afraid that we don't have the generativity of thought and imagination to, to yield the kind of imaginative orientation that is needed to shift culture. And, you know, I was talking to someone this morning, listen, I was up at seven 30 this morning. I know that I'm what? never up before. I know. Well, because who, someone who is scheduled this, a call. Who is, imposter, who is this imposter on this podcast? Someone scheduled a call from eight until 10. And so I was on a call at eight o'clock this morning, drinking my coffee. Now I was in my underwear and tank. No, I didn't get dressed for it or anything. Um, but on this call, this this white man was saying, are we ever going to see any change? And and I'm like, you know, we may not. It may be like John Lewis, where where we look and we see we have come so far and we still have so far to go. Right. But I, I think if we start um, if, if we start recognizing the change we see in ourselves and those who are around us we can start some some sort of narrative of courage which may give people imagination i don't know i love that i love i love the i love the way you name that possibility um i'm also i mean i'm also you know equally scared to death of oh yeah yeah the you know i mean this so this crazy i'm sorry i probably shouldn't i, I shouldn't name i shouldn't assign um adjectives like that to people i don't know 
Right. We don't want to pathologize anyone on this podcast because we are not therapists. Right. Um, but this um, woman who spoke on the RNC last night, um, Abby Johnson, uh-huh. who um, is advocating for a one vote per household um, modification to the election. Did you you hear this oh, story? No. So she is advocating that we go to a one vote per household um, uh, system and that and when asked um, what would happen if um, the of course, you know, their words, the wife and the husband, because, you know, right. Um, you know, heteronormativity is is part of the RNC's, you know, nomenclature. Um, when when asked what would happen if the wife and the husband didn't agree on the vote, um, her words were, well, the wife defers to the husband because he's the head of the household. Oh, my God. I mean, like, I'm, I know I shouldn't say that that bitch is crazy, but what like it is 2020 i mean also, evangelical evangelicalism is alive and well in yes, our systems yes. of politics and that is not a statement I, well, that surprises anybody that listens to this podcast but i want to say i want to i want to say this conservative evangelicalism because thank you, yes i'm trying to reclaim the word evangelical thank you yes thank you for conservative evangelicalism we could talk about Faldwell too if you want to that's a shit show but let me just say that's bad theology that whole wife submitting to the husband that's bad theology yes but yeah i mean they gave this they, they they affirmed this woman in her capacity to speak to people in the country this week and wow. that is a position that she holds and um i mean you know she's also the mother of an adopted black son oh dear lord adopted at birth and she has said on the record that she understands why her son should be profiled by the police more than her white son should oh my god I mean, this, this is the kind of woman that the RNC is giving voice to. Right. And if we don't, if, if, if there is not, if we don't find problems with that, um, now look, I know that there are a lot of people that are even more interested in the um, abolition of, of our democratic process than I am, who can very, could very easily say that there are people that the DNC gave voice to last week who spoke problematic things into the universe. Like, I get that. I am, I am not at all, um, you know, in this space of feeling like my left, radical left-leaning values are the right or only way of, of, of the world. But, right. like, I, I mean, just the fact that this woman had a platform, like, it get like it makes me my head hurt. So that woman, that woman reinforces racist narratives. Yes. Reinforces anti-black racism. Yes. Reinforces police brutality. Reinforces the patriarchy. Reinforces the patriarchy. Yeah. Reinforces and the misogyny. The misogyny. Yes. <laughs> 
Um, yes. Yeah. And, and many, many, uh, were not challenged at all by the fact that, you know, she, she had a, a platform this week. Mm-hmm. Um, in the, in the very same way that many are not at all worried about Falwell's fall from grace. Mm-hmm. I mean, well, you know, the, the thing, the thing about that is, I don't care what you do with your sex life. You do you. Same. Yeah. But it's it's the hypocrisy. Correct. And and I feel like conservative evangelicals, they already repress so much that that when this hypocrisy comes out, they don't know how to deal with the hypocrisy. And and I just want them to deal with the hypocrisy. I mean, we should have healthy sexualities. We should have healthy gender identities. And if you're a little bit kinky, do your thing. Exactly. Like, have at it. But don't, don't, um, I mean, I feel like, I feel like he gaslit his wife. So that, that's what I was about to say. That's my biggest problem with this, Robin, is that he gaslit the crap out of her and threw her under the bus all the while asking her to submit a statement saying that they are in love more now than they ever have been and that he's the most forgiving person that she's ever met. I mean, she, she literally took the blame for this activity. But, but, but that, but that is how that kind of theology rolls, right? right that, right. that, that the female or the woman is always at fault. The man is never at fault. And that is why the patriarchy is in the kind of place it is right now yes, because of, because of that. And why, why is that so attractive to people? Is it because people need control and certainty? I don't, I don't know. I mean, I, I honestly don't know the answer to that because it is a system that I have, that I walked away from a very long time ago and, and forcibly dis- disavowed from my, you know, from my life. I mean, I watch yeah. it in aspects of, of, um, of relationships that I see in my family and in, and mm-hmm. in, you know, friendships. But I, I mean, I have never once, I mean, I've been married to my partner for 23 years. I've never once had that I've never once had that need for control, um, nor nor has he. I mean, n- right. and neither one of us has ever affirmed that in the other. And so, I like, I honestly don't know the answer to the question. Yeah. I, I don't know why it's so in- enticing to people. Um, yeah. I don't know, nor, nor can I even understand why it makes people feel safe, that that certainty makes people feel safe. Um, well, it would make and, me feel so uncentered and out of my own sense yeah. of self that I wouldn't. There, safety would be the last thing that I would ever mm-hmm. attribute to that. Well, and, and we both know, I think that the Bible doesn't say anything until we make it say something. Right. Say that again for the people in the back. the The Bible doesn't say anything until we make it say something. Yes, and so. This, you know, we, we, you know, scholars, New Testament scholars, early Christian scholars, um, none of them affirm the legitimacy of 
of single authorship to what is often attributed to Paul. And so um, there are different ecclesiologies in every letter that is attributed to Paul. Um, there is a different kind of um, structure to society in every letter. And so when you get to things like in Timothy, where, where it's talking about uh, neither male nor female, nor, I'm quoting scripture now. I just want to make sure everyone's paying attention. Um, I'm on the edge of my seat. <laughs> where in, in Timothy, um, the, the letter writes, neither male nor female nor slave or free, n- neither Greek nor Jew, that what do we do with this dismantling or no, that's in Galatians, isn't it? Timothy is a women can't speak. Yeah. But my point is that in each of these letters, um, there, there is a dismantling of hierarchy and binaries. What do we do with that? And no one has in conservative evangelical land, people have not addressed that. And so I want to just go on the record. They have addressed it in ways that fit the narrative that they feel as if they need to hold on to. Yes. And I just want to say, I just want to go on record and say, I believe Galatians was calling for a sense of radical difference. I'm with you. I'm with you. I mean, I think that I think that we we saw all throughout the New Testament how um, there was a there was a, a shift in language that was very intentional. The writers of the gospel were were dismantling and and were shifting the narrative in ways that a lot of people don't want to critically assess, right? Because it because it doesn't fit with the narrative of evangelicalism that that was that began to be crafted, you know, in the nineteen forties and fifties and sixties and seventies, right. and so we we have in front of us a text that both the text itself and the supplemental texts that, that come along with it, um, a, a, a series of words that are open to radical interpretation. Mm-hmm. And through which lens you look at it, that you interpret it. If you interpret mm-hmm. it through the lens of a brown, Palestinian, Jewish um, man who is identified as the savior of the world, then you look at it with one lens. Mm-hmm. If you don't, if you don't look at it through that lens, then then you see things completely different. Right. Um, I don't necessarily fault people for that, but what I don't, what I can't uh, affirm is an inability. I can't affirm an inerrancy in a perspective right. of inerrancy in in their in their viewpoint. Um, just as if I wouldn't ever assume inerrancy in mine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I mean, we're both inerrant <laughs> and and infallible. <laughs> That's the like, team. I feel like if I affirm that, like the lightning's going to come through the window right, and like right. strike, my, strike my ass dead. I know. I'm just joking. I don't. Um, I don't believe that I'm perfect, and I sure as hell don't think you're perfect. Same. <laughs> <laughs> same. But yeah, it's been a, you know this has been an interesting um, couple of weeks, and you know we've had the opportunity to talk with a lot of really amazing, you know 
visionary voices over the last few weeks, but it's nice to just be able to like vamp and rant with you and like talk about all the things that, that we want to talk about. Um, Should we talk to people about um, the dream that the two of us shared with one another um, this week? That, um, so uh, I have always, so I have owned a guitar for hmm, 12 years. Mm -hmm. I, started learning how to play the guitar when I first got it. And then it went away and I just, it's, it's, it's a, it's the thing I want to know how to do most in my life. Like it's that one, like if somebody would ever say to you, you have all the time in the world, you have one thing you could learn. What Mm. is that thing you want to learn? My answer is always, I want to learn to play the guitar. Um, And I, but I don't want to just learn how to play it. I want to be like relatively okay at it. Yeah. Um, Yesterday, you shared that you are thinking about getting a guitar. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that, uh, and, and you think we should start a band. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, let me clarify. I put this on Twitter that I had a dream that I bought a guitar and that my because I went to college on a music scholarship, but gave it up to study philosophy and theology. And, and so I, yeah, I put it out on Twitter that I'm thinking about buying a guitar and getting back into my artist roots, my creative roots. And yes. Dustin Kinsrew from Thrice sent a link to a Fender guitar that is actually really beautiful. And I've listened to the YouTube, the sort of the person playing it, you know, I'm like, oh, it's really beautiful. And it's a small frame, which will be great for my like short, stocky self. And, um, and then I said, maybe unholy heretic and I should start a band. (laughs) We, you know, you know, you know what we could do? We could, we could do this podcast and play our guitars and show people how, how advanced we're getting. Every single ounce of traction that we have made with downloads. In fact, let me give a shout out to y'all. Y'all are killing it with sharing this podcast and, and, and allowing other people to find us. And, and every week we comment to each other how thrilled we are that, um, you know, we have the, the, those that are listening and those that are downloading, um, that we do. But I think every ounce of traction that we have made towards, um, you know, achieving a listener base that is somewhat committed to this work and listening might, to our voices might, might, evaporate. might disappear. <laughs> might disappear. Okay, so we're not if going we, to start playing our guitars play the on guitars. the podcast, but we may need to start talking about how we are investing in our creative selves. We may. We may. And both. I think that that's easy because we both are such creative individuals. I mean, even as you know, even with you being a five on the Enneagram and me being a seven, um, we, and me coming from a background of being a graphic designer and a, and a marketer and you coming from a background, um, initially of being, you know, kind of music being the undergirding, but, but situating yourself much more in the academic, like we're Mm -hmm. both, we're both people that dream big dreams and are always thinking about like what we can do next and how we can harness 
um, like the next amazing thing in in the world. Um, and so, yes, I agree that we we should we should be be humans that put that creativity voice into the world. Yeah. Um, as long as it doesn't have a really bad guitar soundtrack as it's as it's backing. <laughs> so we'll get Dustin Kinsru to um to play the soundtrack. We won't be playing the soundtrack. That sounds like that sounds like a good idea. Thankfully we have a lot of really amazing guitar um guitarists in our midst, Eric and Alex uh -huh. and yeah. um Dustin. Yeah. And yeah, so there's a lot there's a lot of people that we could um Sarah, there's a lot of folks we could ask to uh yes. to assist us with that. I think yes. that we're best yes. to, to leave that to leave that behind. I agree. Well, Dr. Robin. Well, this has been fun. It's been so fun. I I love I love that we had a chance to do this and um we'll be back next week with um, another great guest and you all and um, again won't want to miss it um, we trust that you are staying healthy and that you're staying happy and that you are continuing to dream your own big dreams in this um, somewhat post-covid world um, hopefully it's it's waning where you are and um, thanks for listening to the activist theology podcast we're really grateful that you choose to spend 45 minutes to an hour with us each week. We don't take that for granted. Um, don't ever, don't ever think that um, we aren't grateful for every single one of you that we see listening and downloading. We're, um, we're humbled that, that you would want to spend your time on and with us. So um, if you want to support the podcast, um, we, we uh, will ask you to do so. Um, we're not ashamed to let you know that, um, every ounce of producing this podcast, um, except for the small um, couple of, of donations that we get come out of our pocket. Robin and I underwrite this ourselves, and um, we would love to have you support it. You can go to kindful.activistheology.com to give. You can give a one-time gift. You can set up a, a small monthly donation to just help offset the costs of editing and um you know hosting that that we need um just make sure that you do click the drop down to assign your donation to the podcast and we we would appreciate that and um be sure to look out for us on socials um go on to that twitter feed and let us know um if uh if ramen and i should actually start a band actually don't <laughs> actually don't give us that feedback we probably don't want to know what you have to say <laughs> And folks, don't forget to register to vote. This is an election, an important election. Please go vote. Let's ensure our freedom through the voting process. And let's try to save the post office. Yes. Thanks, Dr. Robin. Thank you. See you next week. All right. Are you looking to connect the dots between what you think and how you live? Are you looking for a more robust way to be in solidarity with the movement? Are you looking to get your hands dirty with the work of social justice? Join Dr. Robin and Reverend Anna Galladay each week as they share, reflect, and analyze on pressing social concerns. Want to help support this podcast? Go to activisttheology.kindful.com and click on podcast. And remember, Activist and theology share a tea. The music you hear in this episode is Hands Dirty by our friends Delta Ray. 
Our sound editor and engineer is Dan Medley from 10 South Sounds. 